G'day, welcome to Minding Your Mind, all about your mind and how it works, mental illness and mental health. With me is Professor Ian Hickey, psychiatrist and co-director of the Brain and Mind Centre at the University of Sydney. And today we're talking about a bit of a buzzword, resilience. Quick mention before we do, uh, the book version of Minding Your Mind is out now. All the key concepts we talk about puts them in a fairly straightforward way in a book. Chapters on depression, burnout, how we change, forgiveness, the secrets to happiness, and much more. So resilience. Resilience is our ability to cope with adverse events. Something bad happens, how do we recover? We get knocked down. How quickly, how well do we get back up? So when something bad happens to you, how resilient are you? Does it depend on what sort of event it is? Can we learn to become more resilient? And I seem to remember you kind of uh, scrunch up your face a bit whenever the R word comes up. What do you think, or how do you define resilience, and what do you think of it as a, as a concept? So true confessions, I've been avoiding this episode for a good two years now. Yes. Partly because... Uh, the misunderstanding, I think, about resilience, and and for a separate episodes, go to other other previous podcasts. I'm into social group resilience, as distinct from how an individual copes and recovers. Yes. However, in this t- on this occasion, I've given in because James is right. Because probably the other question I get asked three times a week is, "What about resilience?" Which caused me to go back and kind of relook at what I was personally objecting to. Why well, I do scrunch up my face every time it comes up, mm. and what what was a better understanding of it? And I think the difference is. Exactly as you said, James. We get knocked down, we get up again. That's the important bit. We do get knocked down. A lot of the people who promote resilience as a sort of individual psychological thing and run courses and you know charge people a lot of money to become more resilient are trying to say people don't get knocked down. Well, you know, we're all going to get knocked down. Well, you should get a resilience coach who tells you <laughs> you're not going to get knocked down. We're going to make you bulletproof. We're going to make you invulnerable. Oh, I see. Nothing right. will ever affect you. Nothing will ever affect You'll you. You'll become a robot. You will be insensitive. Right. Now, I'm not going to say this, but I've had to deal with the odd very senior politician in my life, one of whom stands out in my world. Um, we're going to teach all 15-year-olds to be resilient so they won't get distressed. They'll cope with anything. I was going, that's a really bad idea. It's <laughs> a really, right. really bad idea. If you go back to the dictionary definition of resilience, mm. it's the elasticity, it's the recovering from, it's resuming the normal shape after being put out of shape, you know, sort of elasticity, a return, mm. the get knocked down, it's the getting up again. Yeah. It's not the, you're not going to get knocked down. So a lot of people go to resilience sort of stuff, go, right, I've got to become bulletproof, insensitive, not react when I lose my job, lose my wife, mm. things go wrong, the world's challenging. Nope, not responding. Not going to cry, not going to get anxious, not going to get upset, not going to get angry. <laughs> so that seems to me to suggest that those thought-based strategies would be then in conflict with the natural working of your emotional world. So in Emotion thinks I'm sad, thought says don't be sad. Right. So this idea you can somehow remove your emotional self, or in this case my preferred way, cut out the bit of your brain, go and put it in the bin, mm. I will now be insensitive. Yeah. I'm going, oh, I really don't like those people. No. I don't. As distinct from, we're all going to get knocked down. Life's tough and then you die. You know, there is just stuff that's going to happen if you live long enough that is going to, if you're at all normal, distress you. It's going to knock you down. It's going to knock you off your stool, off your pedestal, whatever. You're going to find it hard. Yeah. So very famous uh, social psychiatrist, Professor Sir David Goldberg, wrote a great book about 40 years ago. Everyone gets knocked down. The question is, how long do they stay down and who gets back up? Not that you get knocked down, but why yeah. do some people then 
and why don't they recover? And in a sense, could we do things that would assist us to recover more or more quickly mm. from those things that knock us down? Mm. Now, that's an interesting concept. Yeah. You know, firstly, to understand that we're all different. So our individual variability. I'm also interested in what things knock people down. <laughs> well, I, I was going to mention that because you might have different resiliences to different things. You know, someone dies and you feel like you go through a normal grief period and recover in a normal way, and then you spend half a day on the phone to a government department trying to sort out your MyGov ID, and you find yourself really upset by that and losing your temper and smashing the wall in frustration, which you'd almost think that they should be back to front. You know, the in, in your life scheme, the bigger event is someone dying, isn't it? So there's the kind of straw that breaks the cramel's back idea, you know, mm. is that the little thing that happens on top of, I come back to this really long, prolonged stress. So it appears to be a little thing, but it isn't. It's just the final thing mm. after a long period of. But people do cope remarkably often with the most outstanding things. Yeah. Death of someone close to them, total loss of what? Oh, I cope with that fine. Yeah. And then something else happens. They totally lose the plot in particular ways. And you think, isn't that interesting? It doesn't fit with often people's external view. Oh, well, I could understand why that thing hurt them. But what people often don't understand is a lot of people cope with those things extremely well. Mm. So in our world of sort of traumatic stress things, people think it all the time. Oh, well, that would be overwhelming. That would be overwhelming. But the great majority of people who face overwhelming stresses actually do cope. Yeah, and we've talked a lot about that they in don't our episode on dealing with yeah, crisis. Yeah, we're actually chronic stress, chronic prolonged stress is actually much worse in a particular way. So one of the things about this sort of resilience thing, you know, is what exactly is the number and type and frequency of the things you're trying to cope with? It's not mm. just a one-off event. So what people often do, <laughs> say wrongly, is that a word? Wrongly. You know, <laughs> it, it, not in the right way, is they let a whole lot of stuff continue to accumulate. They can't get out of a situation. Mm. So there is this on top of that, on top of that, on top of that, on top of that, and then they then they can no longer recover. Mm. So, they, you know, they don't put right a whole lot of what might, not, not minor things, but continuing things. They don't find a way to cope with continuing stress. And that might be continuous relationship stress. It might be financial stress. It might be work stress. It might be other interpersonal stuff. And they just let it accumulate, mm. thinking they're coping. <laughs> actually, they're not. Right. And that actually is much worse. Yeah. So in the resilience world, though, this, this salience kind of idea, like what really matters to you? So if something knocks you over, what, what do you learn from that? But, yeah, all, exactly. but also, okay. So, I mean, just to give me, go back to a personal example, I must remember when I was a young doctor. When I was a young doctor, I quite liked to do sort of pediatric things, do things with families and kids, many young doctors do. But I also had young children myself at the same time. So I found it quite hard to distance myself from the injury or illness of the kids I was looking after. Yeah, like, right. So for me, too much empathy. Too, yeah, too much. Mm. <laughs> Not many people in my life would accuse me of too much empathy, but you know. <laughs> The salience of that for me, the relevance of that for me, I had great trouble distancing myself from the distress being experienced. Now, to yes. be a doctor in those situations, you need to be able to distance yourself from, to some degree, yeah, the distress the and job. the difference. You need to yeah. do the job. Which bit of compassion's good, but a, too much could be debilitating. Exactly, exactly. So I kind of pretty quickly realised that was not an area for me that was right. really going to work. <laughs> being too affected by it. Now, that's not a... This is sort of understanding it. In other situations, people would say, I appeared remarkably 
understressed, if you like, right. or or able to cope with, not not without compassion, not not mm. to ignore the stress, but to be able to get on with the job in certain other mm. situations because for other sets of reasons, my coping strategies were more robust in those kind of ways, able, yeah. able to do the particular. So you've got to, you know, there's a learning about yourself in these particular, I mean, stage of life kind of stuff and, and other things that are going on. So when people are talking about, you know, building their resilience, I think the first thing is kind of like, you know, understanding what kind of affects you more, <laughs> mm. what things might be more kind of relevant that you tend to react to. When you, What are the things that have knocked you down but also tended to keep you there? <laughs> mm. And then the kind of, hmm, why is that so? <laughs> you know, like why is that relevant? Yeah. Because yeah. it may be then learning, one of our favourite topics here, James, is learning specific strategies in those situations. Well, let's talk about that. Can you learn specifically or generally to be more resilient? Are there general you know, there's general strategies for dealing with anxiety, cognitive strategies to, to deal with anxious thoughts. Are there particular things you can do? So if you're – now, this is the response to the situation. Yeah. So if you are prone to developing arousal, sleep disturbance, anxiety, the physiological aspects of those things, then sure, you need to learn methods as a general method to get that under control. Events happen in your life and then you can't sleep for a week. Events happen in your life, and then you're, you know, your pulse yeah. is racing. You're upset for the. Then you've got to get that physiological response. You've got to have strategies to control that thing. You won't recover from the event that's putting you there if you have developed a prolonged, abnormal physiological response to the event. But are there specific strategies to build self? Uh, sorry, to build resilience, even when an adverse event is not happening. So if you get a group of fifteen-year-olds or twenty-year-olds or fifty-year-olds. Or one of them, and they come to you and say, particularly the 50-year-old, uh, you know, when things happen, particular things happen, it really knocks me down. And I, there'll be more things that happen, and I, I, I want to do what I yeah, can so now then, good. to learn. Then we, well, then we get into behavioural analysis. So rather than just joining a group for resilience, right? Yeah. Well, well, what sort of things knock you down? What sort of things get you really distressed? Mm. And in what way do you get distressed? So go back to my earlier point. It isn't about not getting distressed. If you think you're going to learn resilience to never get distressed, forget it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. No, but what I want to learn is how to bounce back, you know, how to make the distress last a week, not a month. So what's knocked you down? Yeah, maybe you've lost your job. No, no, but but not maybe. You'll have experiences of it. Yeah, you as the imaginary person, okay? You know, but but let's say it's a relationship thing. Mm. You know, it really gets me down. Certain things happened in my marital relationship or certain things happened with my kids. Mm, mm. That's what really gets me down. Yeah. Now, that's not entirely fixable, (laughs) right? No, but but I I just want to get down less. Yeah, I don't want to stay down. Yeah, it does, I, yeah, yeah, rather right. than making me have a month when I am have days that are one out of ten, can I get down to a fortnight when i got days that are three out of ten? Yeah, so then we get into, so what? what's really distressing about that? You know, what can be done about that yeah. in a particular way? So what can be done about the particular issue? Now, so people get up, you know. Problem get, solving. Yes, yeah. So when so people get knocked dead, down, not very easy. When people get knocked down and stay down, usually they've gone to a period of not acting, not solving. Yeah, it's a disaster. I, it's a disaster. The world's ending. There was, and they do nothing good, or they make the situation worse. Mm. They dig the hole deeper. So ask, what can you do? So the do that makes a difference. Yeah. So at that point, it gets me down. My now, wife's left me. Get Tinder, <laughs> or reconnect with friends. Better one. Better one. Better one. <laughs> 
I just, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because I've just heard, as people that listen to this podcast will know, I'm not really keen about the dating websites as a, or the sex websites as a long-term relationship fixer, but, you know. I understand. Others hold a different view. Yeah, get with friends, get with others. So you can do that? Yes. You, you can't necessarily. Um, now, the wife. But I was going to say, you can't necessarily find an instant replacement, long-term partner. That'll take a while. But you can get with people and they'll make you feel better. They they might not make you feel as good as if you're in a perfect relationship, but that's not what you should compare it with. You should compare it with, here I am sitting alone in a room eating in, eating takeaway by myself again. Would it be better to be with some people? So compare Correct. it with that. It probably would be. Correct. Yes, that's an excellent example. Hmm. I haven't got the intimacy. I haven't got the whatever, but the end of that relationship has made me feel terrible about myself. I feel incredibly unattractive. I don't think I can go out. Yeah. I'll never be in anything. And you go and spend some time with some friends. And yeah. guess what? They say some nice things about you. Yeah. One of them might even hug you. Yeah. You know, they might spend some time with you. They mm-hmm. might take you out and do stuff that you otherwise enjoy. Guess what? You start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. You start to see. So what? This can is you a do? disaster. Losing the weather is a disaster. But you can start yeah. to see a future. Right. Yeah. Business going down the toilet. What can you do? Do you need to file for bankruptcy? Are there other ways you can stimulate the business? Do you need to think about getting a you know a job as an, a salary man again? All that. Who else can help? Who else can help? I mean, a lot of people will. The actually, bank. You might have. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I have one of those bank people who rings me regularly. He keeps offering to help. I don't quite know what it means. But, you know, you know, like, or... <laughs> You know, family networks and friends and others yeah. who would bail you out, who would start to so you get on the road to recovery. Yeah, you don't get just continue to spiral downwards. And even if that persist. doesn't instantly solve the problem, taking those meaningful actions, taking the actions that starts to set in train the cognitive and emotional mm. processes towards recovery. Not saying it works immediately, doesn't necessarily replace or fix the thing that you've lost, but it creates the future. Being able to imagine the future. I had a great talk. Well, great talks in, in the areas I'm in about one of the really important things when people, uh, this happens in dementia and it happens in depression, is being entirely stuck on the now, on the crisis I'm in now. Can't see the past or see the future. Mm. I c- can't imagine the future anymore. Just, oh, I've lost the wife. I've lost the job. There is no future. And just totally lost and stuck in the thing. So part of normally that is, we're thinking about yeah. the options, the future. Part of that is probably a bit denial. Isn't it? Like not accept like you've got to really accept it. Like I often think, I wish my friend Jum wasn't dead, but he is dead. You know? So that's not helpful, is it? I mean, it's nice to think about him, but thinking I wish he wasn't dead, that's not helping anyone. No. In fact, I I, and that's why I go back to my earlier point about not denying the distress. Yeah. I mean, I think of a few important people in my life as one of one last week who died prematurely, mm. someone I really miss, you know, I really liked her, she's a great person to be with and whatever. She died very young. And I really, I'm still distressed 20 years later. Yeah. Gone good. However, she was one of the greatest get-out-and-do-things people I ever knew. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? right. And the good aspect of that is getting on with it, not to deny the distress around it. Yes. And not, and not to pretend she isn't dead or gone. Yes. And that her loss isn't still greatly felt. And and same principles for, you know, if you lose a job, if your partner leaves, if your business is going down the tubes, if if I mean if there's something you can do to change any of that, do it. But but if it if it's happened, then accept it. So I accept- wish it hadn't. If only I'd if only I'd been nicer to her, if only I'd hadn't made invested that money in that thing happened. So people often say to me, Well, I don't want to be distressed anymore. 
by the loss of this person or whatever. I'm going, no, 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 yeah, that's, not, yeah, that's, yeah, never, yeah. that's never going to work. And that's their idea of resilience. Mm. Going, no, 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 no. Okay, we're distressed and it is distressing, but how do we move on? How do we imagine the future? Yeah. And work towards that thing. Humans are, it's very important to humans to remember the past and imagine the future in order to deal with the present. <laughs> right? It's a funny sort of idea. You know, whereas you're, if you're stuck in the present, you're really stuck. You can't see the options. Mm. Whereas if you can imagine the future, you can start to look at the options. And then you can start to, what your earlier question, what do you do? You can start to look at the strategies to get towards that imagined future. And, and I would imagine that, you know, when something bad happens and, and we're trying to recover, optimism would be important and having healthy self-esteem would be important because if you have healthy self-esteem, you then are more likely to believe that you are capable of rising. Well, look, my wife's left me, my husband's left me, I'll, I'm a good guy, I'll find another relationship. Or my business went bust, but I built that business from nothing, there were some unlucky things that happened, I can do that again. Whereas if you're pessimistic and you have low self-esteem, it's it's more likely you'll think, well, of course my wife left me, of course my business went bust because I'm hopeless. You know, what made me think I could ever do that? Yeah, so one of the aspects of resilience is a sort of positive predictive value. I'll make a prediction about myself, there's a fair chance I'll recover. Yeah. As a consequence of that, I'll take actions that are more likely. If you have a more pessimistic or negative predictive value, oh, well, bad things are going to happen. Well, not surprised, bad things are going to happen again. You'll tend to do both. The other one I was going to drag into this, though, is a little bit about age and experience. One of the issues about mental health that's so obvious is the actual worst mental health of young people who haven't had the experience of actually being knocked down and getting up again. Yeah, right. As my elderly mum, well, which is very good way she was old when she died she made the comment most bad things had already happened to her <laughs> she's seen a lot in her life meaning her whole wide life and in the end of the day she'd mainly cope with them in the end so probably Even the first she, time is the scariest the first because you think this could be the rest of my life whereas the third time you think well this happened before lasted a couple of months came out of it first cuts the deepest Beautiful it's the thing. first thing that actually often causes the most because you just can't see you ever recover yeah once you have recovered <laughs> a friend this week who remarked She'd be married for the third time. <laughs> but then again, she remained hopeful. You know, yeah. like, getting better you know, at it. Getting better at it, you know. We'll do a better job at retaining the assets next time. But, you know, <laughs> but, you know had had the experience and had been through it and had been very – and she said this in a rather lighthearted kind of way. It was, that was not to deny how traumatic and distressing it had been, but, in fact, she coped and was getting on with her life and had come to the conclusion she was better off, mm. working towards better relationships in the future than ones that she had been in. Now, that would be very hard to say. First time around, yeah. you know, a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, you know, people say, I don't be, have not been in this situation, but people who are business people who've lost a business and rebuilt a better business, they say they're better business people as a consequence of it. They understand what's involved in winning and losing and in particular oh, things. Every innovator, every inventor in the world has failed several times before they succeeded. Yeah, I'm associated with a whole lot of national funding agencies. People go, we want to fund failure. Yeah. Go, no, you don't. You never give us the money for that. So the research world says take chances, take risks. Well, because it might be the eighth idea that is the big one, and if you give up at seven, you'll, you'll only have had seven failures and you'll miss out on the excellent one. So medical research is a classic. The big innovations are the big risks. Yeah. Most of which means all the others failed, right? But, yeah. but the experienced researchers go, good, <laughs> let's move on to the next one because they've got a reasonable amount of experience that somewhere along the line part of what they're pursuing probably has – a good idea is stuck in there waiting to get out. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know? right. So that experiential kind of thing is quite a bit. So resilience also 
This is where I also think it's really hard. You see in schools and education, we're going to teach kids, teach 15-year-olds resilience. Mm. And I'm going, that's a bit hard because actually that's not really the issue. 15-year-olds are going to form relationships. They're going to do things. They're going to have disappointments. It's actually when they're in the situation, when stuff happens, you were asking, can you just sort of train for it? And yeah. I was being a bit sceptical. So it's experiential. Partly, partly it's experiential. But, is but, it but, when but, you experience distress – how do you maintain this positive view of the future and engage in strategies to recover as quickly as possible? But aren't we sharing some practical things that, okay, someone's listening, they've never really been through a terrible time, but they want to be prepared. And aren't we sharing things like, well, try and move to accept what can't be changed, have social support, try and be optimistic, work out what practical actions you can take. They're all things, you know, you can write down and Put in, and when the time comes, they should you can go say, in a book. They should go in a book. Should, it should be in a book. Volume two. Um, that, and when the time comes, they can say, okay, this isn't going to make me feel better overnight, but if I do these four things, it's going to make me feel better than if I don't do them. Yes, our favourite topic. They'll have a method. Yeah, yes, yeah. they will so have a method. Yes. You can train. Them. Yes. Well, yes. you can give people skills for the hyper, you know, for the eventuality that might happen. I'd also go one step further, people who are serious, and I'm often doing with, well, this is the age-appropriate thing. So if I'm talking to teenagers and whatever else, right, I'm going to say, you know, what do you reckon is going to be the most important thing in the next few years to teenagers? You, you talk, just imagine you're talking, James, to 16, 17, 18-year-olds. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the thing that's going to cause them the most distressed in the next few years? Uh, working out what to do with their lives? No. Oh. Relationship stuff. Oh, yeah, right. They get in a relationship. Somebody breaks that relationship off, you know. Very upset. Very upset mm. for a particular thing. Fair enough. Now, what are the rest of us at our age? Think about those teenage relationships, those early life relationships. Well, I mean, I don't. Uh, am I expected to say, oh, just a trivial bit of fun? I'm not going to say that. Well, so what tends to happen I don't is, agree with that. Uh, no, well, <laughs> what tends to happen with people our age is, oh, don't be ridiculous. It's the first relationship in your life. You're going to have lots. There's no problem, blah, 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 blah. We do tend to minimise. Well, yeah, but if you're 17 because and you've spent your whole life thinking, I wish there was just someone who really got one, me, who I really person. connected with, who I could also kiss, and then that happens and you think this is the best thing ever and then it's over, well, of course you're going to be upset. Well, this is where I think the resilience training, if you like, for 17-year-olds needs to go to the salience of that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, right. Right? Yeah. Not minimise the distress cause, not whatever. Go to Actually, this is the sort of thing that's going to knock you down, really knock you down. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it may, your parents may be fussed about your HSC result or your life plan or, you know, whatever else. But the thing that's going to cause you to get knocked down is that rejection by him, her, whatever, they, that's upset you. So there's probably an episode, but there are a lot of, you know, late teenage, early 20 people who uh, present for treatment for, you know, I'm guessing depression shortly after a big relationship has ended and identify that as the main cause. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, right. Not what their parents say, not what others say. Mm. It's the thing that's caused real distress and it taps into the life-appropriate developmental kind of things. Talk about older audiences who turn up, right? What are the things that really upset them at that stage of life? Uh, you know, and everyone goes, other, well. Death. Death, in, death impending, being able to do less, friends yeah. dying, Something, friends yeah. dying. Yeah, so loss of function actually. Mm associated with ageing in particular ways, not being able to do things in the same kind of way, mm -hmm. realisation of those things. You know, death of friends and sometimes even death of spouse and whatever is not as distressing 
as people think. They actually kind of, you know. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh. Yeah, they've changed. But but other things about loss of function and loss of independence. Oh, yeah. And, when it, you know, loss of other things. That's going to piss me off so much. <laughs> now, for the, I'll have to go to another episode here, but James is your living rat here. <laughs> He's an independent, cognitively smart, likes to be in control of his own life. Do you know what's what, going to fuss you? What you is know, going to fuss you? You know what? I, I in one of the Sunday papers they had a segment I was asked to do where you know the personal fitness trainer Michelle Bridges, you put in your exercise regime and she assessed it for you and she assessed mine is pretty good. But, um, but one of the questions was what are you, what are your fitness goals? And my mine were uh, to never let any of my children beat me in a running race and to never die. <laughs> Now, this is great because it's well known about various personal trainers who've tried to get me to move. My fitness goal is to get out of the gym uninjured. Right. right? You know, just so to actually different. be able to walk out. I walked yeah. in, I want to be able to walk out. Yeah. That's the goal. Yeah. You know, people go, come on. So, <laughs> as you know, I'd never go to an actual gym because there's other people there. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, for, so for a lot of older people, mm. the loss of independence is really, and it's really difficult because they're going to have to cope with it. I hate to say this, James. Yeah. Because it's going to happen to a lot of people. They're going to lose various independence. So that most you know, other people, apart from me, <laughs> <laughs> let's just say physical stuff happens and things happen. And so yeah. having strategies, having realizing that much more than people, and, and then because people turn around again, like I was saying, people are insensitive to the young. People are sort of insensitive to aging. Oh, what do you expect? You're old. I was at a gathering last week with a whole bunch of older blokes. I loved it. They're all doing stuff, learning new languages, being active. They're doing everything they possibly could. Great. To maintain their independence and their activity, but it's really challenging. Mm. You know, they are all very high-powered professional people, and they all, you know, fear as you do. They fear the loss of independence ferociously. Other stuffs happened in their lives. Other people have died. Other they all cope with that. They're all terrified of the loss of independence mm. and becoming dependent and becoming restricted. You know, and that's hard. You know, to say, well, actually, so this is going to happen. This is happening. But how do you cope with it? Not be well again. That first point of acceptance become like. You know, there is nothing you can do. I mean, there are physical things you can do to maintain your health and blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, we're all getting older every hour, aren't we? And so you've got to accept that. Whereas I Acceptance meaning take – I haven't. No, I've you been have, You've got a long way to go. Yeah. But acceptance meaning, okay, I've got to take actions about that. Well, mm-hmm. What are we going to do about that? Yeah. I have a relative at the moment, moment I greatly love, and she's doing something smart. She's putting a lift in her new house. Yeah, right. Right. She wants to say what she's going to do and she's going to do particular things. And people go, we're doing what? She goes, yeah. I'm, you know, let's face the reality. Like I'm going to certain things. I'm going to take actions now. Yeah. So that my quality of life, you know, so practical strategies. She doesn't want to move, obviously. No. Mm. And practical strategies in order to maintain, you know, I mean, there's a huge expenditure, you're going to do this particular thing because I'm going to maintain my, I'm going to put in the supportive strategies, not pretend it isn't going to happen. Yeah, good. Start to do, in order not to be, psychologically distressed or to have to change other particular things if you've got the resources. So yes. there's sort of practical kind of stuff and and a kind of uh, these things are age appropriate or illness appropriate or socially appropriate, you know, like thinking the things through. So which you, you asked the earlier question of why I did screw up my face when you sort of said strategies in general, resilient strategies in general, and I was getting a bit more specific. Okay, let's right. think about the time and the stage and what it is that knocks you down at a certain point. And then what would help you to make the recovery, to come back in a particular kind of way? Now, some are cognitive. Now, I've been a bit dismissive here, but overcoming things like catastrophizing, overcoming sort of attitudinal things, you know, being able to control your physiological response, the sort of things you made a list about earlier on are also good. They sound like they're almost the same strategies as dealing with anxiety, 
uh, three main cognitive ones I'm aware of. Distract yourself, think about something else rather than this is all such a disaster. So, And that often means doing something that engages yes, you. Yes, yes. When you say distract, you say that often. I want to go with you, exactly what you just said. Not do only something. think it, do it. Do it, yeah. Go for a walk, watch TV. You know, it doesn't have to be active, but active is good. Um, the second one, dispute. So my, my life's ending, you know, this is a catastrophe, I'll never recover. Well, actually, most people do recover. Obviously, the first few months of every catastrophe are the worst. The overwhelming majority get through it. I will rise again. I know lots of people who have, blah, blah, blah. So dispute. And the third one, your favourite, what if? Oh, that's not really so relevant for this. Is no, it, it is. It's already happened. No, 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 because people fear the thing. Hmm. Well, what if I get disabled as I get older? What if I do have a particular thing? Oh, I'll have to die. <laughs> No, you won't. Yeah, you'll just deal Just with think it. of all the other things, and also for older people, think of all the things you have coped with. Yeah, yeah, good. People often tell me a story, I can't cope, I can't do it. I go, what have you coped with in your life? And they think of this long litany of stuff they've actually coped with. Go, that's, so that's remarkable. That's actually <laughs> hard for the 18-year-old who's just yes! broken up with their boyfriend or girlfriend. Yes. Because they, they might not have coped with them. No, so my earlier point is quite hard to teach resilience yeah. to young people. You sort of need the, exp- you need the experience because one of the things about – sort of getting repetitive here, but don't deny the distress. Don't pretend you're not going to be distressed by it when it happens. You are. Yeah. That's not the question. But but I think – Accept the distress but have the plan yeah, about and, how to cope. And I think implicit in a lot of what you said is that you need a long-term view. So how can I feel better tomorrow? Probably can't. Maybe a little bit better, but maybe not. But think more about, okay, I, I might have 50 years of life left. I might have 15 years of life left. This is a difficult period. What can I do that in a couple of months will help me emerge from this? Don't expect to feel great tomorrow. Yeah, that short-term thing is a problem. Right. Yeah. I want to feel better tomorrow. I want to be out of this hole. I've had this major thing happen. I've lost someone close to me. I've been rejected. I've had this major thing happen. I've got distressed. From In my life, it mattered, you know. Hmm. But I want to feel better tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, that's not very realistic. Mm. But the, we, the, we the, expect that with physical um, ailments. We'd say, okay, we've well, got to have an operation, blah, blah, blah. But in the meantime, take this for the pain. Yes, yeah, psychological you know? morphine. Where is it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, psychological morphine, actually, I'm glad I've said that. Morphine is the most fa- – opiates are the most fascinating drugs because they don't actually make the pain go away. They just make you feel different about it. <laughs> yeah, right. They that's detach you from the more than actually mm. – literally blocking it, they detach you from the experience of it. We're not advising anyone going to score some opiates, by the way. If they're no, but you can see why they're so attractive. Because we're yeah. humans, like <laughs> everything else, we want the pain, in this case the psychological pain, we want it to end now. Yeah. So in the resilience training kind of bit is action acceptance that it doesn't end right now. The distress does not end now. But you're getting yourself on a pathway, I'm drawing a line here, of recovery over a certain mm. period of time. You're getting mm. out of the hole gradually. You're not going to get out of the hole today. Yeah. So I often talk about ladders, about getting out of holes, ways out, strategies. Sometimes the ladder applies a time frame that's a bit too short. Mm. <laughs> it's actually it's a process. So grieving being a classic. You know, you aren't going to grieve somebody really close to you in a week yeah, or a day. Yeah, You're going to be distressed by it. It's going to matter to you. In fact, the salience of the whole thing is likely to go on for a long time. But you can get back to a life that is better over time. And that's resilience. Mm. That is getting back to a good life despite what has actually kind of happened. As I say, I mean, others may wish to comment here and write in and disagree with me, but a lot of the resilience industry, I think, sees sort of promises is, oh, you'll be over it tomorrow, you're resilient. Yeah. Really good people bounce back like steel. 
you bend it and it bounces straight <laughs> back into position tomorrow because yeah. that's what that's what strong people do. This is what I hate about this sort of stuff. Yeah. That's what strong people, men of steel, we're going to give them spine. Mm. So even if they get punched and knocked down, they'll jump right up. Yeah. There's also, why well, I also object to a lot of that, there's often not a lot of learning comes out of that. There's a denial kind of aspect. Right. You know, adversity is a chance to learn about yourself. It is. Sadly. Mm. But actually there are learnings. I mean, it'd be better if you could learn about yourself by eating ice cream, for example. <laughs> but unfortunately it's adversity. <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> it teaches us more. Yeah, I'm not in favour of adversity, let's be clear. No. I'm not in favour of trauma. I'm not. But life has its fundamental challenges. Stuff happens. Mm. And so I – and I do find it fascinating as to how people do cope and how they do recover. And I'm, I'm, and I must say I'm struck continuously by people's capacity to recover. I'm thinking, oh my god, if I was in that situation, I'm sure that I, I'm not sure mm. that I would cope. I can't. Mm. I have trouble imagining myself coping in that situation. But you do see people who cope, and they do actually do these things. So, yeah. but they, but often they've learnt stuff, they've adapted stuff, they've changed their life in certain kinds of ways. Which is hard to imagine that they would have done <laughs> if it hadn't happened. Oh, agree. If it hadn't happened. Agree. In particular ways. And I think we're all affected, many of us, by hearing those stories about how people have coped mm. in remarkable kinds of ways. And they're, they're stories worth sharing, I think. They're, they are resilient stories about how people have overcome adversity or how they've changed their life or they've adapted. And I think in that sense, they're all – what I like about some of those stories, they're not all the same. I think there's a media portrayal. They're all – Remarkable people. Right. They're not. They're not. Don't do it the wrong way around. Often they're ordinary people. Well, we're all ordinary people. They're people just like us. Yeah. Who found themselves in unusual situations. I think there is a learning. They've learned stuff about themselves mm. and they've then acted in ways that have promoted their recovery. Yeah, I hate that whole heroic narrative because we're not, particularly if you live in Australia in 2022, many many of us aren't tested every day. Many of us aren't tested and really tested very often at all. And so we don't really know what we're capable of until we are. And then when we are, you find out and often you surprise yourself, what you know, to, to learn how much you are capable of and how strong and clever you, and compassionate you can be. Yes. But you don't, you don't normally discover that when you wake up, everything goes fine. We, you go to work, you come home, you have dinner, you, go, you watch Game of Thrones. Can we do an episode about We Hate Heroes? Yes. I hate the hero narrative. Yes. Because I, I'm much more struck by what would otherwise be called ordinary people who, who remarkably do things. You can think of, I think of situations around the world at the moment where people are coping with remarkably difficult things. And there's not, but it's not a hero narrative. It's Sub, not a hero narrative. Subtitle of my novel released this year: Three people, one robbery, no heroes. How insightful! Yeah, I don't believe in heroes. Um, all right, well, I've got that on the list. So that is resilience. Hope it was useful. Any questions, comments, please do suggest further topics for us. The email address is mindingyourmind2 at gmail.com, mindingyourmindnumeral2 at gmail.com. And Minding Your Mind is supported by Future Generation Global and the generous philanthropic donations from families who support ongoing research into youth mental health. Further help's available from Headspace, Beyond Blue, Head to Health and Lifeline. Google them. We can call Lifeline on 13 11 14.